tuned in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries, and your number one source for after-show entertainment. <laughs> TV, the destination for TV superfans, producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows, interviewing celebrities and showrunners, and bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Yeah! Welcome back, fellow Fargo fans, to another edition of the ABTV Fargo Season 2 After Show. Follow the network all over social media at AfterBuzzTV. Like, subscribe, rate us five stars, all those nice, wonderful things that you do to tell everyone else on the internet how much you enjoy us. I'm Lex Michael. I'm all over the social media thingers at the Lex mm-hmm. Michael, and I am here with Dave Child. I'm at, at Mr. Dave Child and DaveChild.com. You can find me all on the line. On the line. On the line. Mm-hmm. On the line. Oh, I'm just thrown from this episode. Yeah, tonight we are talking about the penultimate episode of season two, episode nine, The Castle. The Castle. And, whoa. Whoa. So all that happened. Yeah, that's, that's a thing that happened. Right right up top. Right, right up top. Uh, if I may, erstwhile on the ABTV Fargo mm-hmm. season two after show, we mm-hmm. joked about how wonderful it would be if the massacre at Sioux Falls that we knew was coming concluded with the arrival of the, of the alien spacecraft. And we didn't think that actually do it. No, we didn't think that actually do it, and they did it. And yeah, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I that's think what we should happened. just. I mean, I think this we got to gonna... talk about the big moments of this episode. Yeah, because this is the penultimate episode of basically the series because it's um, first season was completely different than this season. So we're coming to the end of a story. So this was the climax. Yep. This was the, like, final... This was the Massacre at Two Falls. Yep. That we've been waiting for. And almost everyone is dead. Oh, man. <laughs> I uh, So I rewatched the uh, episode from the first season where Lou says... Um, uh, what he saw that there's a mass the massacre at Sioux Falls, and he mentions how like the bodies that we saw, if you stacked them up, I'm pretty sure they would reach the second story. Yeah, I, I think that's I didn't realize he was talking about an intricate staircase of bodies <laughs> that you're building. I feel like there were bodies that were the railings. Sure, there were bodies that were just each step. And moved up. That's that could go to the second floor. There was a lot of bodies this season. Yes. Oh man. And, and in this episode in particular, I do think um, when Lou refers to the incident that that changed him irrevocably right. and led him to quit being a police officer, I think he is referring to the the events of the season as a whole as part of that incident. I don't know right. if he necessarily means specifically just this massacre outside of the motel. Well, I think uh, one of the things that was new about this episode was there was a whole different style of storytelling, for one. We got narration for the first time. Yeah. By the way, if I'm not mistaken, that yeah. was Martin Freeman narrating yeah. our, our uh, the once uh, Lester Nygaard of season one. Yeah, in kind of original British, in his original British accent. Yeah. Which was great. Uh, I, and this episode threw a lot of people. This was like... I can see this being the episode that divides a lot of people, that there's some people that think this is a shark jump, and there's some people that will go along with it. I loved every bit of it. Yep. And I think, okay, so one thing I noticed about starting with a true crimes book, at first I thought it was, it said like from 1825 to present. Yes. Which makes me wonder like, okay, what does that mean? Are we gonna? I thought this was going to go way back in time. I thought this whole episode at first was going to take place in like 1825 or sometime <laughs> around there, where it would just like throw us off. Where it's like all of a sudden we go back in time. It's like that Sherlock series that's coming up. That's just the same people in right, a different the, time the period. period setting. Yeah, I think it's also because I heard Martin Freeman's voice. So sure. it's like, oh, maybe they're going to do that. And this does open it up for possible future season stuff where they could actually go further into this book 
and go around. Um, yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Noah Hawley has said that season three is probably not going to be a prequel to season two. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. set closer to present day. But yeah, like you say, I mean, this book with the clear label of we've got stories that can go all the way back to the late 1800s. Yeah. So now they can just play and play and play for a long time if that's the way they choose to go. Right, right. And the, so this voiceover threw a lot of people. And I think a lot of people had different feelings about it. Because one thing that we noticed in the in the voiceover is a lot of things we've been thinking and talking about were just outright said. Yep. And it was a little jarring at first. Sure. And I think there's periods where, especially when it comes to Hanzi, where you're looking into Hanzi's head. And it's talking about just these moments where it's like, what is Hanzi thinking? We've been debating this the entire time. I, I feel like... They almost piped love, in our podcast. To well, this. And I love too the the acknowledgement that uh, many times, like historians, uh, disagree right. over what his intentions were or when he decided to do what he ultimately did, uh-huh. um, which is great because it's it's uh, it's being presented almost as if it's like a BBC documentary about what happened. Like, right? Yeah, I think it's also important to note uh, some things about the voiceover. One, it's done by. A voice that is very alien to the environment. Yes. It's very separated from the 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 dialect we've been listening to. It's not American. It's from another country. And it's quietly observing and quietly, like, kind of cold when it's talking about everything. And there's a direct correlation, I think, with that and the aliens. That's yeah. interesting. That I don't think anyone's really talked about. It's this foreign voice... <laughs> That's cold and watching over sure. things, but doesn't actually do anything except addresses certain uh, aspects of it. And also, people were angry at the voiceover because they said they were saying a lot of things. It was that didn't need to be said. We had kind of all understood it. But there was new information through the voiceover that, uh, especially Ron Hanzi, that I did not realize. Yeah. Which happens when he says that the Gerhards, the Gerhards got him when he was eight years yeah, old. Yeah, Otto took him off the street at eight, and up until this point in the season, it had been completely ambiguous as to how long he had been with them. Right. I kind of assumed, I don't know if you assumed the same thing, that Hansi was kind of a hired gun. Yeah. Someone that, like, maybe came out of Vietnam, and because he came out of Vietnam and uh, had this violent streak, he found work that was like this. Right, he could be an enforcer, sure. Yeah. I didn't realize he was basically an adopted son. He was, he was, for all intents and purposes, a member of their family. And yet, you see, and you see most clearly in the last couple of episodes as he gets to his breaking point, but you see, and you can imagine, based on what you do see, he's been treated like a, a mongrel pup his entire life by yeah. these people. He's been an indentured servant yeah. this entire time. And he's someone who, um, also, by the way, I always had, uh, I always thought it was weird when we saw that flashback of, of him with the magician. Yeah. Someone like pulling a rabbit out of a hat. I think that was Otto. Yeah. I think the magician was Otto because we flashback when the narrator says, um, back, he was picked up back when he was eight. It goes back right to that moment when he's in the classroom. Yeah. Watching the magician. So I think the magician might have been a young Otto. I'm going to go back and look at that previous episode again and see if I make that same connection. I mean, maybe not because I realize that they do actually have a young Otto later on. Because sure. Who's probably around that age. And it's still Michael Hogan, I believe. Yeah. So maybe I don't think it was Michael Hogan, but now I want to rewatch it. Yeah. And I'm like, is... Was Otto well, just to see, like, with with that in your head, then just to look at it and see if it holds up. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, was Otto, was Otto a magician part-time? Magician, part-time magician, full-time crime boss. Um, Really quickly, before we move too far away from right. talking I'm about... just excited about yeah, But talking about the, the book and the narration, mm-hmm. I don't know if you were paying too much attention to the... Because you see the... the pages of text. Right. I don't know if you were paying too much attention to what was written on the pages. No. So I went and I freeze-framed a bunch of it, and most of it is is just recapping stuff that we've seen already. The big mm-hmm. events from episodes, mm-hmm. you know, the violent uh, encounters and ends that people met, um, various crimes committed, so on and so forth. But there is actually new information in the pages of this book, and I made notes of it, specifically uh, as pertains to Peggy. On the pages uh-huh. of the book, in the text of the book, the book states that Peggy was raised by 
by a single mother. Her mother's name, I made note of it, was Nora Knutson, K-N-U-T-S-O-N. She died of breast cancer when Peggy was 10. So Peggy went to live with her widowed Aunt Agnes on a farm, and she was the only kid in the area. So this was a very, very lonely existence for her. Right. And then uh, she met Ed in high school, and then the stuff that you were talking about on previous episodes that got cut about how she was originally invested in Ed's friend emotionally, and he... Uh, right, he goes. He goes off to Vietnam, and then you know Ed tries to court her, and at first, uh, she yeah, rejects he basically his says to Ed like, uh, watch out for her, yeah, keep her safe. But that's that like. stuff is in the pages of the book, yeah, which I just thought was really cool because if you're not if you're not in a position to freeze frame it or you're not thinking to freeze frame it, that's not there. That's amazing. But they put it in there anyway, which I thought was really nice. The detail that they like just put into the whole thing, that's great. Um, so one thing I also. Uh, I think they also have a moment where, like, because uh, I saw on the Reddit, Fargo Reddit forum, that they were talking about how uh, they didn't know how Hansi got to the motel and was actually watching them. Yeah. And there's actually, a, in the book, if you freeze frame the book, there is a moment where they explain how he just was like, oh, and he followed him right behind everyone. <laughs> and came to, because, like, everything seems to be in that book. Um, and, the, by the way, the, like, drawings were amazing. It was really cool. Yeah. So I guess where should we go back? I guess we should talk about how uh, what's happening with the Blomquist. Yes. Well, before we do that, did you, because we talk about this on every episode, uh, oh, about, what, about the, the title. title. Yeah. So the title comes from uh, Kafka's book, The Castle. Yep. Where uh, the book is essentially, I haven't read the book, but I'm uh, sorry, you did, you, your, you did your research on it. I did yes. mine. And um, two interesting things about that is one, it's about a guy who's trying to talk to the authority and the authority doesn't listen. Right. And it just seems to be a bunch of bureaucratic nonsense that he just can't break through. Which we see in this episode. Yeah, which is basically what Lou is doing. Yep. And and ends up getting forced out of the state because of it. And two, and uh, the book (laughs) starts off in the first person... And then he decides, to, in a later draft, to switch it to a third person. Okay. Which I find interesting because this show just got an aerator. Yeah. And it just got, like, into the third person. Yeah, if really. you think of it. So it's, I don't, I, that's a, it's a strange parallel, but it's something I noticed. And it was also Kafka's, like, last book before he died. He actually died while in the middle of writing it. Okay. And someone picked it up and, and finished it. Which has nothing to do with the show, but I thought was interesting. This is interesting. Yeah, well, what I found was I found similar information that you did, but what I thought was interesting, too, is that this, this castle, the titular castle of the Kafka story, is this place, this, like, high, way high up, shrouded in mist, where you can essentially right. go and you can transcend this plane to reach your ultimate state of being, which is something, obviously, Peggy specifically has been talking mm-hmm. about and talking about and talking about and trying to accomplish the entire season. But like you say essentially bureaucracy makes it next to impossible for the lead of this story to get to this castle. Right, yeah. Which I just, yeah, I find there's there's a number of of different connections that you can Ex- make. Except I would argue that actually Peggy got to the castle. I think she did. Because <laughs> I think Peggy, out of everyone, really showed in this episode that she was being and not thinking. Um, can, I, I don't know about you, but I think uh, it, it it's just a flying saucer, Ed. Maybe the best line of the season. It's amazing. And I guess, I don't know, should we just dive into the flying saucer right now? I or? feel like because this episode was such a, a what's the word? Help me out here. What is the, what is the one, like, it's just a, I wa- I everything say happening everything all the time one. at once. So I feel like we can just jump around a little bit because right. the centerpiece is this massacre and we can we can touch on, on characters uh, as we go. Right. But... Obviously, the the honestly, I forget if I could swear on this, so I want to say cluster F, but it doesn't. Uh, I don't know if I can. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> that's kind of what's happening. Cluster though. F, cluster F. Say cluster F. One of those clusters. Cluster clusters. Clusters. Yes. Uh, but in a good way. I don't mean to. I think one one great part about this episode is how messy everything kind of feels. Yeah. And I think that's why the formality of the voiceover happened. And why I think the aliens coming in so crazy, (laughs) 
that we're saying that in Fargo, but is it makes sense. I think it makes sense. Well, they did they they seeded it throughout the season so effectively. And if you remember, this all got started because Rye Gerhart was distracted by a spaceship. Right. And also, uh keep in mind they also say that they come in threes. Sure. And we saw the spaceships basically three times. One with Hansi, one with uh one in the beginning with uh Rye and then this is probably the last time. I Maybe. would think. I would think. I feel like this paid it off. Yeah. I don't think you need to do anymore. I'd like to know why Hank is researching all this stuff. That's the only thing that I, I feel like I would like to see right. some resolution. Because we're, once the spaceship is there and that close to them, where do you go with that from there that right. isn't now the aliens are moving to Minnesota? Right. Well, okay. And also one thing we actually haven't talked about and is that the aliens is also based off of a real story that happened in uh, Minnesota to someone named Val Johnson, who's a he's a sheriff or he's a trooper. He was a trooper who had an, a, a close encounter where he was driving down the street, and then he said that he got enveloped by a white light, and then he crashed his car, and he woke up with like burns around his eyes, and his car crashed, and it was it's become like a big. The, there was an investigation, but no one concluded really what happened. So it's one of those like landmark moments that a lot of um, UFO enthusiasts like point to sure. to be like, "Oh, this is this is an official person that it happened to." So it's based off of that, and there was a lot of UFO sightings happening during the seventies. So it's that's one of the reasons why the UFOs kept coming up. And also, he just thought it was funny. Noah Hawley thought it was funny to keep doing this, but also I think. There's a theme that we keep talking about of Ronald Reagan being uh, a symbol of a, of the desire for a white knight to swoop in mm-hmm. and save the day, but they don't really save the day. To to that point, you see uh, in the motel Peggy when she can't sleep watching that same fictional Reagan war movie again. Right, right. It pops up just a little bit. Um, and I think that's what... These aliens are, in a lot of the reviews I've been reading with the New York Times and quite a few other people, and even Noah Hawley calls it a uh, deus ex machina, hmm. with the aliens coming down. And it is a little bit. I don't think it is. Okay. I don't think it is because the only thing that it saves is Lou. Right. And that's just by distracting Bear enough to so he can get the upper hand. Right? So, honestly, that could have been done if you took out the aliens... Nothing would have changed. All that would have changed was there would have to be another distraction. Right. In order for Bear to, like, not be continuously on a murderous rampage. Right. Hulking out on Lou. That's the only thing that needed to, like, happen. And I think what the aliens are, are they're that white knight that comes in, kind of saves the day, but also doesn't really do anything. I, and then yeah. they go away. It's interesting because I wonder, and it's it came from, yeah, reading some recaps, reading some reviews, reading some discussion online, but uh, someone was speculating, you know, do you think the aliens came down, saw all of this violence, were bummed out by it, and left? And in my <laughs> head... This, well, yes. well, it, in my head, I'm going, wouldn't it be amazing if the aliens showed up and reacted to the scene in front of them exactly how Mike Milligan does when he arrives? Right. Where the aliens show up, they look, they go... Huh. Okay, okay then. then. <laughs> and then they leave. Yeah, that's probably... I love also how they set up, like, Mike is, Mike is like, uh, thinking about how he's going to really gun down, have this confrontation, the entire setup towards there, and then when he gets out, it's just like, it's already done for me. Yeah, and now he can go and take credit for it. Which, Everything. again, again, he was... Uh, up until now, as far as we know, marked for execution by Kansas City, and mm. now maybe he's got a card that he can play. Because unbeknownst to him, he was there to pick up Dodd. He didn't know that Dodd was dead. So right. he had already lost the card that he had to play. Now, potentially, he's got another one. Yeah. And also, it's funny that he kept thinking of... He was thinking about the... You see in flashbacks when he's driving to the motel that he's thinking about the people he was he was close with that he lost. In this scene, a, a lot of a lot of Mike is getting kind of lost in the cluster F of this episode. Yeah, the cluster. F- yeah, the cluster. F- um, but he actually has some great moments because you see him on the phone, and they have that great split screen uh, that they use so well throughout this whole show. And in this one, you have um, first you see the split screen of Mike 
in the forefront on the phone and then the kitchen brother in the back and then it uh it has it so mike leaves the uh phone booth and walks to the kitchen brother but then on the other side of the split screen we still see him at the booth yeah we see that moment where he just talked to the head honcho who turned out to be the uh director of the episode adam oh adam Arkin, yep um, who's also directing the finale as well, directed past tense, and oh, he really? did it already. Um, but yeah, he's director of the finale I as mean, well. I mean, from what he did in this... Tremendous. Oh, I'm, Let I'm him direct really every episode of television. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so, but you see, uh, you see a moment in Mike that you don't see throughout any of the other episodes, where you see him at his most uh, vulnerable. You see, like, this moment where he's just, he's recomposing himself, he's adjusting his bow tie, and then... And he's then he gets out, and you don't really see that. Well, the other thing too, what really stuck with me, there is a moment where um, you see him and Joe Bulo sitting at a booth together, uh-huh. and it was him. You know, it's another flashback. That moment, if I'm not mistaken, was not a moment that we had seen before, was it? The no, two it was. Was it? Because I didn't wasn't didn't we when he touched his hair? Didn't we see that earlier? I see that I was trying to remember. I couldn't remember. But watching that moment um, where you see he reaches across the table mm-hmm. and, and does the hair thing with with Joe, and then it cuts back to when the head's in the box and he does it again, it hadn't really occurred to me until that moment that Joe Bulo wasn't just a guy that Mike took orders from. Joe Bulo was Mike's friend. Yeah. Like, that was actually, that wasn't just a personal, uh, or I'm sorry, that wasn't just a professional loss for him. That was a personal loss as well. Yeah. But that was also a moment where, um, that I, I noticed when he touched the hair when he, it was first in the box, when we first saw that scene. Right. And this this was a strange episode because it had a lot of hand-holding at moments, and then a lot of, like, we won't explain that. Right. Because I think they felt like they needed, listen, we're going to end this with... Uh, aliens. Let's just <laughs> make sure they're clear with everyone's motive up right. to that point. And I think that was kind of a moment that kind of did that, as well as all the Hanzi like, why did he still go after the Blomquest? That's something that's kind of up in the air. Yeah. But the narrator muses on that. And that- there's, there is so much really fascinating Hanzi stuff. It is mm-hmm. interesting how he's been a presence in the entire season, but he really does become a major linchpin of all of the action uh, as it unfolds from starting an episode or two ago, moving into now. And I enjoy how the first bit of the episode follows him as he comes back. You see as he, he finally just pops the uh, gas station oh, attendant. God, the poor gas station guy. He almost, he almost made it out, too. He got this close to skirting really? past. But then I also thought it was interesting um, he grabs the supplies and he goes and he bandages himself up and I thought there were shades of uh, Chigurh and No Country doing the same right. thing in the motel room. We, yeah. we do in the episode get resolution as to what happened in the motel room with Constance. She's dead uh, as we suspected. The two flower motel room. She's, she is quite deceased. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had the thought she was going to be still hanging around. I wasn't very sure because he left that the gas station guy alive. That made me think that maybe she was still there. And then ultimately and it was didn't like, oh, leave no, the gas station dead. guy alive. And so is he. Yeah. And no loose ends. <laughs> and then there's a moment where, and again, we, we talked about it a little bit already, but it's, you know, the narrator, uh, our, our Martin Freeman, yeah. um, talking about, you know, there's some debate over whether or when specifically he decided to, the way they put it, finish the job. Right. And I I wanted to get your impression because he calls the Gerhards and lies and says Dodd's still alive they Mm -hmm. have him here knowing full well that he's sending them to a motel full of cops to get massacred and he when he talks to Floyd originally he tells Floyd not to go because he can't guarantee her safety do you think that he would have spared her see this is the something that I think a lot of the reviews and the and the um, recaps aren't picking up on that I'm noticing I think this episode revealed that Hansi was a Gerhard yeah I think he basically killed his mother I think I think he didn't want she was the one person I think he wanted to spare but then he kind of realized he would have to kill them all because if it was just Floyd if she was the only one left I think the fight would be out of her I think she would be done I don't think she's she's not someone to go full-on revenge. Well, she kind of revenge. Well, she would if she knew, but also if Floyd hadn't gone to the motel, yeah, 
if everybody else gets wiped out, she still doesn't know they got wiped out because Hansi betrayed them if she's not there. Right. I think the only reason she ultimately the, we, we lost Floyd is because she went and in that moment where she hears, you know, it's full of cops, she turns around and there's a moment before Hansi kills her where she realizes, oh, you did this. Yeah. And if she's never there, she never has that moment. So it's possible that if Hansi didn't kill her, that the two of them, separate and apart from the rest right. of it, maybe could have found some resolution with each other. I don't think so. I think that was a moment that... Okay, it was one of two moments. It was either Hansi manipulating her to actually come by saying, no, don't come, and that will actually make her come. Or it was him not realizing that he needed her to be there as well. Sure. Because I think, honestly, if she was still around and she found out about this, she if would she be finds like... Out. Yeah, yeah, she would be like, wait, there were cops? Wait, Dodd was already dead in the cabin? She would probably... She's a smart cookie. She would be able sure. to put it together. But I think that's that just showed... I think that he just didn't want another family member that he was close to. He kind of knew Bear had to go. Yep. And he knew other the most of the Gerhardt just had to be wiped out, but uh, I, he, he was a member of the family, which was a big surprise to me. Yeah, in this episode, that was the biggest surprise over the UFOs, I think, because we were kind of always joking about them showing up, right? So when they did, and uh, I do think you know once once Floyd was there, I think her fate was fairly inevitable. I think as you're watching it, you know right. more or less what's going to happen to everybody. But even yeah. still, the moment where he puts the knife in her, to me, was a gut punch. I knew everyone was going to die when Lou was sent away. Yeah. When when Lou was like, why don't... Uh, I didn't know how the Gerhards were going to get involved, but Lou was like uh, freaking out justifiably because Cheney... His name was Cheney, Cheney, which let's just take a moment His and acknowledge how beautifully appropriate that is. I think this was uh, Noah Hawley's uh, really tirade against uh, conservatism. Yep, in a lot of ways, like taking down <laughs> Reagan, now making Cheney this uh, this idiot yep. who's trying to force a war that doesn't need to happen or force a confrontation that doesn't need to happen. And not for nothing, if he hadn't given the order to go complete radio silent, Lou could have warned them and more of those cops may have lived. Also, why? Yeah, For what why? possible reason would we, you go radio silent? Oh my god. We talked about in a previous episode how uh, the cops in the Fargo-verse come in two shades. They're either the very few, but like, you know, moral compasses who are decent people and are probably the most decent people in the entire show. Yep. They're the people that you're, you're, you're heroes, you're rooting for them, or they're just complete idiots. Yep. They're just bumbling fools. And we just got the Keystone Cops in this yep. episode. Yep. That was, it was amazing. They, um, so they, back in the cabin, they decided to, uh, try and get the big fish, try and get the Kansas City by, by wiring up Ed and like having and forcing that confrontation back at the motel, right? And you see, I forget his name, but what's the guy with the mustache who's you Ben? See, ben, he just like he doesn't learn how. <laughs> you see, even Peggy manipulate him a bit when they're in the hotel room, and I love how also there's there's little bits of just real detail where they say, "Hey, we're undercover," so everyone's just wearing white shirts. <laughs> yeah. That's what undercover means. You basically just. Take, take your uniform take off. Take your uniform off. <laughs> put on these jeans. Or that one guy that doesn't seem to like to wear pants. Nope. And by the way, he said, like, you better wear pants this this time when they're playing poker. And when they're playing poker, he's not no wearing pants. pants. It's a very subtle detail, but I noticed it. And uh, that's just... And then they go radio silent for no reason at all. No, it's... Honestly, it seems mostly just to spite Lou. Yeah. More than anything else. And... How 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 is this guy in charge? I, well, he's he represents. I think there's that, especially there's like a manly feeling in in the in the Midwest, like men yeah. that Fargo touches upon a lot. It touches upon it with like Lester in the first season and William H Macy's character, someone who has to maintain their masculinity at all costs. You see it with Dodd. Yep. You see with all these... You see uh, the ugliest possible version of it with Dodd. Oh, God, Dodd. Ugh. But, and you see it even with with uh, Bear, I think, to a point, where he's just like extreme father. 
in yeah. this sense and and someone who's just like needs to be the papa bear for the entire family sure and i think the i think the guy i think cheney's a version of that where he's someone who's um you know is it's his state it's his county He's the person in charge. He doesn't want to give up that control no matter what. Even if there are experts coming in that he should really give control up to because they kind of really know what they're doing. Right. So I think that's just – it's just another sign of that, like, masculine hand. Well, And what I love, too, is the exchange between uh, – I think it's Ch- Cheney and Hank. Yeah. Where Hank, without even trying – and it's I, I think Cheney's even – a little too dumb to realize just how much he's being put in his place. But Hank, where he tells him the story about, uh, you, you know, uh, they got the orders. It was Eisenhower right. gave him the orders that they knew would get him all killed. So this this commanding officer decided to ignore the orders, and so Hank sends him a Christmas card every year f- over it because he can because, because he, he can. survived. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a there's a running streak of uh, people who have survived war. And also are coming out of the other side and dealing with kind of war that's entered their private lives mm-hmm. throughout this whole thing. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, just because we're jumping around so much, so yeah, obviously Hansi kills Floyd, which made me very sad, even mm-hmm. though we accepted that this was inevitable. Uh, so Floyd and Floyd dies never knowing what actually happened to Dodd or to Simone. That's true. Which is and that surprised me because one of the predictions we kept saying was that Floyd. I thought Floyd was going to be the last one standing. Sure, but it actually is the other brother who's in a, a prison somewhere. Yeah, it's he's that guy with the hand. Oh, uh, Char- like, no, Charlie. That's the uh, uh, bear's son. Yeah, Charlie. He's the only one left. Yeah, he's the only. Yeah, the only one. Um, and so maybe he is Malvo. <laughs> <laughs> but he gets the, his hand fixed and, and becomes a phantom. Uh-huh. Um, grows up is is Billy Bob Thornton. Um, but then, yeah, so Bear sees this um, and is is I guess going to go for Hanzi. Lou takes a shot at him, shoots him in the head. Yeah, Bear apparently is super powered. Yeah, maybe he's he had so much adrenaline, I guess. That he was just ran at him and he was shot like five more times and just kept coming and yeah like like you right. said it wasn't it was the arrival of the spacecraft and if it wasn't the spacecraft it, it would have had to have been something else because right. we know that's... time paradox aside we can't kill Lou um, yeah he that's one of the only things we know for certain especially going into the finale one of the only things we know for certain is that Lou survives right. um, but but that you know distracts long enough for him to blow Bear's head off so there's. No more Gerhards except Charlie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, Hansi and they they talked about in the in the narration. Hansi is going after the Blomquist, and it's like again, there's some debate as to why this is. Is it because they had seen him execute Dodd Gerhardt and were the only ones that could right. talk about it, or was it the moment where he asked for the haircut? It's like the, the, he allowed them to see his true self. Could he not yeah. handle that? And in his pursuit, I I was like, no. When he shoots Hank. Yeah. In the gut. Yeah, I, Hank was kind of a doomed character, I felt. Like, we kept having moments uh, in previous episodes where we're like, I th- I don't think Hank's going to come out of this. Yeah. I thought maybe Hank was going to go then, but I think he's going to keep going. And he's not quite dead yet, but well, it's so we don't Well, yeah, we don't know for sure that he doesn't survive, at least until the next episode. Right. I We do know, at least in my opinion, the last scene between Hank and Lou was played very much like a final moment between the two of them. It and, was, but this show was so surprising. Sure, but it's like, dude, I don't know about you, man, but like, especially after just being so overwhelmed with the different emotions, watching everything that had right. happened, I really almost started to roll tears when the two of them were talking. Yeah. And, you know, Hank was saying he'll be fine, he's gonna wear a suit of armor to dinner on Sunday. Um, like I, I started to get a little bit. Like, I, it did. It got a little misty. Got yeah. a little misty in in my my viewing space. Well, I manned up, and uh, <laughs> I don't cry. I, was, I don't cry. I'm a manly man. <laughs> I just pumped some iron and uh, chewed on some cigars and but and drank whiskey through my nose, <laughs> like a man does. <laughs> like a man does. But the other the other layer to that scene that made it to me so much more uh, emotionally potent is that this this scene is happening between the two of them and neither of them are aware and this is something we haven't touched on yet 
of what's going on back home right. with Betsy. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we saw her. Uh, this was the heartbreaking scene for me. This was real. This was hard to watch. They always do stuff in Fargo and where the worst stuff seems to happen just outside of frame. Mm-hmm. And in this one, we see that heartbreaking moment where you see her struggling. I knew she was going to fall. I knew that she something bad was going to happen. She's making her orange juice, mm-hmm. her concentrated orange juice, which made me very nostalgic, by the way. Yeah. I had this moment where I was just like, oh, my God, I remember concentrated <laughs> orange juice. My mom used to make that. But he, she was making it. And then uh, Molly was drew a picture. And and uh, what's her name? Noreen? Noreen, yep. Noreen said, like, oh, why don't you show that to your mom? And then you hear glass break. Yeah. Right as she says, why don't you show that to your mom? Which was really good. Just yeah, it was a, filmmaking. Amazingly executed. And yeah. then Molly, of course, is the one who finds her mom. Right. Which is just so... Dude, come on. Yeah. That's so sad. Yeah, it's... Like, it made me. It made me realize how important this whole time period is to that family. Sure. Because when I was watching... I just watched the scene where Lou just describes this, what happens in Sioux Falls. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to Malvo during that. And it's actually that intense scene where Malvo's in his diner and then Molly's about to enter the diner and just misses him as he leaves. And I realize, I don't know, it, this put a whole new perspective on it because it's also probably a story that she's heard a bunch of times and it's like uh she knows how important that time period is i forgot he was telling it to malvo yeah to like that force of nature that was there recounting his force of nature moment to the force of nature of that first season yeah so she her just missing that is also kind of missing that story in a way i don't know you know like that's how important this all this moment is for the family. Yeah, I am. I am very curious now. Once once we wrap this season, to go back and rewatch, if not if not the entirety right. of season one, a lot of the Solverson stuff in season one, and see how it plays differently now. Yeah, you know what I'm also noticing just in our talk today, and thinking about the show is how important hair has played a role. Yeah, how do you mean? In the whole thing? I, I mean, mean there's certainly specific examples. Yeah, but we keep bringing up hair, but also in the first season, you have Malvo's weird haircut. Yeah. You have, like, that's kind of mirrors the no country for old men sort of side of things. And in this, we have uh, someone who cuts hair, that beautiful moment with Mike in the hair, and then Hanzi getting her hair cut. And I don't know quite where to go with this. But yeah, I, think I was, was going to ask, like, what do you think that's about? I don't know. Maybe it's just that M. Night Shyamalan water thing where he always yeah. just brings up water. Maybe uh, No Holly has a weird thing with hair, <laughs> hair thing, that we yeah. don't really know about. But he, it keeps coming up in like in, and it also talks. You know, the, there's there's Samson uh, references in a lot of ways where it's like you know taking uh, taking away your masculine power comes from hair sure too, like losing your hair loses your masculinity which ties back into what we were talking about about how everybody is is doing the masculine posturing thing yeah and it all it all like keeps so maybe that imagery is part of it interesting i think that might be an aspect of it but it's it's also just the warrior hair i think yeah is kind of something sure so are we at predictions uh i'm i'm trying to think like what is what is the what are the big things from this episode that we haven't gotten to I yet? realized that I was just so excited to talk about the big stuff right away when we came in. It was just like, kind of blew my load on a lot of the like, <laughs> hey, let's talk about aliens. What's with the aliens? But, so what do we think, my question is like, do we, if there's anything to do with aliens from now on, it's going to be with Hank and just like tying Hank into the aliens. Or maybe not at all. Well, and it's a question of you know what? Like let's let's jump into predictions and then we'll tie everything back in together yeah, in the bigger the conversation. And now you're after Buzz Goofy. It's the aliens for us. <laughs> oh my god. So yeah. So since we're we're just gonna open it up now because right. there's a, a lot of things we could talk about uh, both that are directly uh, tied to predictions we could make and otherwise. But it's like yeah, going forward we have one episode left and the only thing that we know about 
the finale of this season. The only thing that we know yeah. for sure, well, th- we know we know three things. We know Lou doesn't die. We know Molly doesn't die. Mm-hmm. And we know that of all people, Ben doesn't die. That's it. That is all that we know. Yeah, and I think I was wondering, like, how is Ben going to get out of this? Well, so he makes the comment when the when the motel comes under siege, he makes the comment, like, this is like Rapid City all over again? Yeah, what was that? So I have no idea. So he's, so, but clearly, he's been in a situation where where he was under fire and he managed to survive that so as well. I wanted to double check. That isn't a reference to something that happened earlier in the season, was it? I don't believe so. I didn't think so I don't so know either. what that would be. I was wondering, is this going to be their third season? Because I would hate it if we followed an even younger Ben. <laughs> and Ben was the protagonist. He's like just a 12-year-old Ben <laughs> walking around. Here I am in Rapid City. But so it's like he... That's, yep, yep, that's 12-year-old Ben. Yeah. And that's how he walks, too, with ah. the arms. Um, I'm going to be a detective someday. But but so we we know it's as bizarre as it is that of all people, Ben, one of the most incompetent people in this universe... Right. He survived, but apparently Ben has a knack for survival. Right. He also gets knocked out by Peggy, and I think that helps. Sure. I think the fact that he, <laughs> he can't gets, go anywhere to get yeah, shot. Yeah. I think if he had left that room at all, if he was outside that room, he would be dead. Oh, for sure. And he actually proved to be a little competent. He got two of them. Yeah, he got two of them. He hid behind the door. That was good. Yeah. That was actually some good uh, police work. Maybe so. the only example of good police work by right. Ben in either season. Yeah. So, uh, so we do know that okay so in the next episode we this season this show ends with uh Hansi chasing after the Blomquist and they got a little bit of a head start because yeah. Hansi had to take a second and be like oh aliens yeah he had to be he wasn't he wasn't being he was thinking right he wasn't as actualized as as, as Peggy, Peggy was in that moment Actualization saved Peggy. Yeah. Because she wasn't shocked by the fact she that they finally, were aliens. She finally did it. She lop-lopped. Yeah, she lop-lopped. Yeah. She did the full lop-lop. <laughs> she lop-lopped all over those aliens. Yeah. Wouldn't it be weird if the big twist is the aliens come down and they just say lop-lop-lop? <laughs> They're just like the Muppet aliens. Yes, yeah, the Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring. But, uh, so we know it's going to be Lou chasing after the Blomquists and trying to save them. Yeah, well, and that's... He talks about feeling responsible, responsible for them. Yeah. And whether whether or not he's actually responsible in any way, because he didn't make them make any of the de- right. decisions that they made. He has done his best at every turn to help them out of the situation. Right. And whether it's directly by them or by a third party, he has constantly been thwarted in his attempts to help them. And yet he does feel this sense of responsibility for their well-being. Yeah. I mean, I think in a way he's, since we're on this masculinity train, choo-choo, uh, <laughs> I think he's, he's like an example of... Um, the masculine father type in uh in the right way. Sure. He's someone who respected his wife, respects his daughter, and feels like he needs to nurture and care for the people under his charge. Right. And so that's what I think he that's why he keeps going. Cuz there could have been a moment where he could have gone back to his family. Of course. He could have he had that moment where he was esco- escorted out of the state, could have gone back up to Minnesota, just turned around and and went back in and i think it's i think it's because of that sense of duty and hanzi might be in the same world as far as that goes i feel like he has almost a sense of duty he has to accomplish and that's getting rid of the blomquist and also just like tying up that last loose end i feel like he's and i think it's maybe because he saw that like he revealed himself a little bit to them and feels a little betrayed sure so kind of wants that revenge, but he's just, I think he just doesn't have anything else to do. What would his life be now? <laughs> yeah, he could go, he could easily go out and and run for it. He could have done that before setting up the Gerhards, but I think he knew that uh, the Gerhards would still be a threat for him. Sure. Because he would be discovered and then they would go after him. So he had to wipe them clean, but now that they're clean, he could go out. Right. He could just, like, disappear somewhere. But he's at least... Uh, at this point where we leave off he's right like you say he's choosing not to do that i also think he's a broken man i don't think he wants to get out of this alive because because what would he be yeah i think he's just i think there's going to be a moment 
for one, I, I obviously don't think he'll come out alive right. by the end of this. Even if he takes out both Blomquists, I think Lou's going to get him or something. Well, and that would that would be my next question. The the Blomquists have uh, displayed a surprising and uncanny knack right. for surviving, which when you meet them at the beginning of the season is not a trait I would have expected either of them to have when, when faced with circumstances this dire and this directly threatening. And yeah. yet they keep they keep making it. Well, keep in mind this. Keep in mind the imagery that keeps recurring over and over again is that Reagan episode, is that Reagan movie. Yes. Where there's a couple stuck in a basement and there's one threat coming down the stairs and then is shot the last minute by the hero at the top of the stairs. Yep. So my guess is we're going to see exactly that. With with the Blomquist, Lou, and Hansi. Yes. Yeah. I think we're going to get Blomquist in a basement or something, and then the Hansi is basically the Nazi. Ooh. Ooh. This is a lot of Zs. Nazi Zs. This is like a ZZ Top thing going on. <laughs> and then ZZ Top comes in. <laughs> and then and everyone starts dancing. It's, yeah, and it's like, welcome to the 80s. And, <laughs> and the ZZ Top are the aliens. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it ends with just... She's got legs. She knows how to use them. <laughs> as she runs, as she runs away. Um, anyways, uh, and I, I lost track of this. She's... Whoa. Oh, 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 that. No, time okay. paradox. Time you, don't, paradox. you don't have to wrap. I just thought you guys were wrapping up. That's why. Oh no, no oh, okay. that's okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know what was happening. Uh, it's like, are we starting the show over? Um, so, uh, but if you remember, the content of that scene in the fictional movie is the couple having a conversation about one having to sacrifice himself right. for the other so that either one of them could make it out. So I have a heart. I think if one of them is going to go, it's probably going to be Ed. I feel like yeah, I, I think feel like Ed is a lot more likely to die than Peggy. This is what I kind of picture. I picture it being Ed in uh, Ed. Ed sacrifices himself. Lou saves the day. I think Lou's going to save the day. They're going to leave. But like the Nazi does in that episode, stands up and goes after them. I think Hansi's going to do that again and go after them. I think then he's going to shoot Ed. Lou's going to save Peggy. And then we're going to see a scene where she's actualizing prisoners in a female <laughs> prison leading a seminar to how to become a better person. That would be great. That's my guess. And uh, we'll see if that happens. So then there's only two other other points that I want to touch on prediction-wise right. before we do wrap. Um, one is so we don't we don't know for sure that Hank is deceased yet. The same way that although it looks very, very, very dire we're not 100% sure that Betsy's dead yet either. Yeah, we know that she's not in the future, but we don't quite know when. So. Right. I, I'm hoping that she makes it a little bit longer, mostly just because so much emotional turmoil in the last couple of episodes. Right. I really don't want to watch this this poor, beautiful, dignified, strong woman have to die at the very end of the season but again, it would be after everything that Lou has been through. I think that would be it. That would be what ultimately breaks it for him. Yeah, because he has to quit being a policeman like entirely, and I think that might happen. I and think we we might even have this kind of bedside moment between uh, Hank and Betsy in in adjoining hospital in beds. adjoining hospital beds, touching hands across the way, and she's just going, "Hey, hey, pa." What's up with the alien <laughs> Before I go, just one last loose end. <laughs> why are you investigating aliens? And he'll be like, well, this is why. <laughs> right. And they're like, now we die. <laughs> this little exposition dump, they both flatline simultaneously. Yeah. But then, too, like, it would be very fitting because after everything he had just seen, losing Betsy, how how else does he react but, well... I, after everything that's just happened to me in my career as a police officer, right. how can I keep going back out there when things like this can happen when I have to be sole care and provider for my little girl? We also haven't touched upon a main point that was introduced in the first season, which is why does he love ducks so much? Yeah. Why is he... His... Maybe the ducks save him cast- from Hansi. Yeah, what happens they're, there? Like, they're alien ducks, and they save him from Hansi in the zero hour. Yeah, he just gets picked up by, like, a flock of ducks. <laughs> or, like, or like no, here's here's the comparison I'm going to draw. Are you familiar with the movie We're Back, A Dinosaur Story? 
No, I, I, gr- I grew up with this continue. movie where the villain is a character uh, with a with a screw in his eye. But at the end of the movie, he's ultimately dispatched when crows, all these birds, literally com- land on him, envelop him completely, mm-hmm. and when they fly away, he's gone. All that's left is the screw that was in his eye. So I'm going to say same thing happens to Hanzi, but it's ducks. That'll be mystical. And that and that just changes Lou forever. Yeah. <laughs> the very last thing, though, that I want to touch on before we do wrap, Mike Milligan. Yeah. So he didn't have too, too, too much to do action-wise in this episode, but he did get one of my absolute favorite moments where he shows up, okay then, leaves. My prediction is the same as last week, where I think he's going to be the head of Kansas City. To do that, he's got to go and deal with Hamish. Right. So... Do you have any specific thoughts one way or the other? I think he's either going to be promoted by Hamish. I don't think he's going to kill Hamish, but I think he's going to... He could end up doing that and then moving on to, like, become the leader of of the Kansas City. But I think it's only going to help him. I think he's kind of scot-free right now. I feel like, and again, maybe just because we're saying this, first four minutes he's dead. uh, But I feel like he is wily enough to be able to spin this and get out of this all right at this point. Or at least that's what I'm hoping for. I think so, too. As as, uh, terrible most of the acts committed by Mike Milligan are, I really like this character. Yeah. And although he may not truly be able to exist in the world uh, in a way that that is uh, safe for others, right? I, I don't really want to see him go. I also feel like we need he needs a little moment in the sun before the show's wrapped up. I don't know what he's going to do in the next episode, but I think he's going to do because a lot. he has felt a little bit by, by necessity, but he has felt a little bit sidelined these last yeah. couple episodes. So yes, I would like to see him get another big moment that hopefully uh, he survives. Yeah, maybe he starts that prog rock group. Yeah, right. He's got That's... one kitchen brother, but uh, we're we're not. If he survives, we're not too many years away from being able to like Photoshop, not literally Photoshop, but like to take the picture and just mirror the kitchen brother on either side of him right yeah, so yeah we yeah. could do that we could, we could keep the same somebody make this sure. t-shirt for both of us by uh, the way please yeah. um any other thoughts on the penultimate episode before we do wrap no i think that's basically it i, I think, think we covered just about everything yeah it was uh it was a hell of an episode yeah it's uh one of and i bold statement one of the best episodes of television i've seen certainly in a very long time i like it when there's something that happens where i stand up and go what yeah no what? Yep. And that's the aliens did that for me. That, so that was, was the, I, the, frankly, that happened to me more than once this right. episode. Um, and we've got one left, and I'm excited and I'm terrified. Yeah, I don't want it to go, but I'll be glad to see it leave. <laughs> it's it's very stressful every week. Sense, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that is going to do it for us on this edition of the ABTV Fargo After Show. Mr. Dave Child, where can people find you on the internet? At Mr. Dave Child and DaveChild.com. All right, I am Lex Michael, and I'm all over the netty webby talky stuff at the Lex Michael. We will see you guys next week for the finale. I'm excited and I am scared. Thank you for joining us. Bye bye. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later! The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.